Hello, everybody. I am very excited to welcome you to this episode of the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. I'm Abby Branker, and that's Alan Kudan. Hello. And today is our first part of a three-part series where we deep dive into three classic monsters. How classic are we talking? Like Scylla and Charybdis? No. Classic in a modern sense of classic. Oh? Classic as in today, we are talking about Frankenstein's monster. Oh, like universal classic monsters. Yes. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, it's Halloween. We are gearing up for our first year anniversary. We started on Halloween last year. Mm -hmm. We wanted to make this October really special for everybody. It's been a hard year. There's a lot going on. And so we wanted to really, really blow things out. Right. And we thought, what do the people need? The history of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. (laughs) So, Alan. Yeah. I'm going to go through some history of Frankenstein. We're going to talk about how it originated. We're going to talk about how it evolved. And then I have a story I'm really proud of Mm -hmm. that I wrote, Mm -hmm. and it is Frankenstein themed. Mm -hmm. And so at the end, we will read that. Okay. And that is going to be the agenda for today's meeting. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong. I think I know a good deal about the history of Frankenstein. Uh So hear, hear me out and just correct any details. Great. Originally from the novel by Mary Shelley. Mm hmm. She wrote it when she was, like, in some cabin with, like, Dracula. You know I'm, I'm going to go through all this. And she was, like, six years old or something when she wrote it. Yeah, she was six with Dracula. Yep, that's right. <laughs> you nailed it. Uh, Let, why, don't, why don't you leave it for the professionals? I've got notes here. I've got pages and pages of notes. But shall we start our deep dive journey into the history of Frankenstein's monster? I think I know everything there is to know. Prove You're right. Me, she was six, Dracula, cabin. All prove, right, prove here we go. Wrong. What else you got? Okay. Of course, this monster and its complex creator originated in the beautiful brain of Mary Shelley. Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus, which is actually the full title, is a novel that Mary Shelley wrote in 1818, so over 200 years ago. But I, I the first time I read frankenstein yeah was actually for its bicentennial that's cool so you read it two years ago yeah i really love frankenstein it was absolutely incredible it was nothing what i was expecting yeah i read it in high school and it really changed my course i feel like like it changed my trajectory as a human i mean it's an absolutely incredible novel and the i mean i'm sure you're gonna get into this but the movies are so so different Mm -hmm. yeah and do you like and maybe this is for people who went on to be writers more, but I had like English teachers in high school specifically, but also in middle school that really shaped, I feel like, I don't know, my memories of our conversations about books like stand with me. Hmm. And I had this one teacher, Mr. March, and actually he's the one who introduced me to both Frankenstein and the turn of the screw and the conversations with him and more like all kinds of kind of like gothic horror books but those kinds of conversations really stick with me and that like debate and kind of like how he decided to teach those texts and so i think that was part of it too and so just a shout out to english teachers that really get through to kids especially bratty high school kids yeah please uh reach out um we'll give you a free sticker yeah we will i would love that i hope there's english teachers listening maybe mr march is listening maybe Okay, so Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein in 1818. She actually started writing the story when she was only 18 years old, and the first edition was published by the time she was 20. Three years before its release, 
Shelley went on a trip through Europe that would change the course of monster movies forever. Mm. Before settling in Geneva on this trip, she stopped along the Rhine River in Germany, only 11 miles away from Frankenstein Castle. Okay. I mean, I remember the novel. I remember Geneva being a big part of it. Uh, Is Frankenstein Castle a real place? It is. Oh. Frankenstein Castle is dramatically placed on a hilltop in Oldenwald, a low mountain range in Germany. It just sounds so made up. Yeah. Well, it does now. Wow. It's believed that this castle inspired Shelley's novel, but she didn't just borrow the name of the castle. She also borrowed a bit of the myth and folklore that surrounded it. Oh? In 1673, this is real. In 1673, alchemist Johann Conrad Dippel was born in Frankenstein Castle. Okay. Dippel created an oil called Dippel's oil, or bone oil. Right. This oil is a byproduct of the distillation of animal bones. Its substance is similar to a thick tar and was well known to have a really gross smell. Yeah, I use it for cooking. (laughs) Well, no, the oil was mostly used as an animal or insect repellent that was actually used briefly in World War II as a chemical weapon meant to make wells undrinkable for the enemy. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. But its intended use was more of a fountain of youth sort of elixir. What? That's why he created it. Okay, so he tries to make uh, the elixir of life and make something that you put just a little bit into a public well and the well becomes toxic. That's correct. It's like ambrosia. Right. It's just too powerful for mortal beings to consume yeah it's also made of rotten animal bones (laughs) (laughs) so this idea of a mad scientist in an old castle Mm -hmm. obviously has really direct ties to yeah there literally was a crackpot scientist inside that exact castle yep because devil's alchemy stirred up rumors and folk tales from the locals many believed that this castle's history influenced mary shelley's writing however she never mentioned this stop in germany or anything about Frankenstein's castle or Dipple's alchemy in her journals. Hmm. So we know for a fact that she traveled within 11 miles of this castle. And obviously, Frankenstein's castle, you assume somebody must have mentioned it to her, or she heard it at a pub, or whatever it was. But she never wrote down in her journal anything about it. But it, we, you know, a few years later get Frankenstein. So we assume that this had something to do with it. Right. Okay. Shortly after this stop on her European tour, Shelley arrives in Geneva, Switzerland. With her was also her soon-to-be husband, Percy B. Shelley. Aww. Percy Shelley was one of the major English romantic poets, though while he was alive, he never experienced fame. At the time, his poetry, social, and political views were extremely radical. Shelley wanted to donate his family's riches to help the disadvantaged. Mary and Percy fell in love when she was 16 and he was 21. He had an estranged wife, so the pair would secretly meet at the grave of Mary Wollstonecraft in the St. Pancras Church Cemetery located in central London. Their whole affair, love affair, is a mess. We'll talk about it really, really briefly, but they were, he's a freaking mess. I'll just say that. Okay. But quick side note, Mary Wollstonecraft, so the the grave that they used to have their like trysts at, was not only a writer and philosopher, but also an early advocate for women's rights. Yeah, so I just looked this up because I knew there was something funny about it. Mary Shelley took the middle name Wollstonecraft because I thought Mary Wollstonecraft was her pen name or something. Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, just a quick Google says Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley was an American novelist who wrote the American, Go- American Gothic novel Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus. I wonder if she took it or if she was related somehow to her. Can you look, can you look that up, too? Yep. Thank you. Shelley was born Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin on August 30th, 1797 in London, England. She was the daughter of philosopher and political writer William Godwin and mm-hmm. the famed... She was the daughter of famed feminist Mary Wollstonecraft, the author of Vindication and the Rights of Women. Oh, so that was her mom. It was her mother. The plot freaking thickens, everybody. So she would go to her mother's grave to meet up with her lover. That's And do the deed? Nothing to unpack there, my friends. I don't know what they did there that wasn't in the Wikipedia article. Wow. So, I mean, they, they were creating life from a cemetery. Foreshadowing. Wow. Okay, I don't want to spend too much time on the personal affairs of Mary <laughs> Shelley. Spend and, all day on that. <laughs> of Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley, but long story short, things were very, very complicated. When they first met, Percy was married and his wife was pregnant. She gave birth while he was living with Mary. It also seems that both believed in, in a free love sort of relationship model, but only Percy took other lovers, even though he encouraged Mary to date some of his friends. Yeah, good luck finding someone else that's willing to do it on your mom's grave. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so there's a lot of jealousy, like when his wife gave birth between him and Mary and the other lovers that he took, and he had kind of like tried to set her up with some of his friends. And then tragically, his wife committed suicide his, that he was married to, and then he was free to marry Mary Shelley. And also, I'm not going to talk about this too much either, but there was a bit of controversy because Mary's father and Percy Shelley were also tied up a little bit in a financial promise. Percy Shelley had like kind of promised him some of his family's funds to help their social like their social movements and beliefs of like donating to to the poor to poverty Mm -hmm. and his family wouldn't release the money to him because he was seen as such a radical and he was kind of like the black sheep so there was like bad blood between mary's father and percy shelley too so the whole thing is like very freaking complicated but let's get back on track right let's talk about monsters not man-made monsters i guess that's exactly what frankenstein is yeah well yeah all right okay here we go So we're in Geneva, right? Mary and Percy are vacationing in Switzerland with another dear friend. Also in attendance was Lord Byron. I was confusing Lord Byron with Count Dracula. Similar. They are very similar in demeanor. Mm -hmm. And they both have a title followed by a name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're right. It's a good point. Byron was a poet and a politician. So also similar to Dracula. Mm Mm-hmm. He is thought of as one of the defining writers of the Romantic movement. Lord Byron is described as, quote, mad, bad, and dangerous to know, end quote. We're still describing Dracula here. (laughs) Mary, Percy, and Lord Byron decided to hold a writing competition while they were staying in Geneva. They wanted to see who could write the best horror story. And thus was born Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And it was sort of like this thing of Percy Shelley and Lord Byron were established writers and poets at the time, right? They were men of power. And Mary Shelley was sort of like their 18, the 18 year old girlfriend, you know, who was tagging along. And she is the one who has come out of this weekend writing competition with infinite fame when the other two are sort of like textbook names. I mean, I don't know. I think Byron did pretty okay. 
I know, but but, but freaking Percy, like, what the hell did he write that weekend? Okay, so after some googling, because this is a very complicated weekend, yes. everyone's on vacation, um, and that's Byron, Percy, Mary, um, Byron's and, doctor, and, yeah, Byron's doctor Polidori, and Claire, and Claire, who is Percy's Percy's stepsister. Percy's which is the whole reason why By- Lord Byron is there in the first place is because he and Claire had a kid. So they're all they're all at this like villa, and the weather is terrible. So they're stuck inside and they're just debating. And uh, all the men are just saying about like what the limits of the human body are and like what medical experiments are possible. They're just theorizing bullshit, like reanimating corpses, that sort of thing. Right. And Mary is just like flying the wall. Um, being hit on relentlessly by the doctor by the doctor because why not that's terrible yeah then things just got to a boiling point because everyone's like stuck in this tiny little place which might not be tiny everyone's just stuck indoors yeah to pass the time they eventually just start reading ghost stories and morbid stuff to each other Mm -hmm. just for fun and to pass the time lord byron poses a competition saying hey you guys you should write story like just horror stories yep who can do best and so percy and mary Mm -hmm. write horror stories Mm -hmm. and one is frankenstein one is frankenstein interestingly percy wrote a novella called the vampire which this is where the confusion lies Mm -hmm. because this was published in 1819 Mm -hmm. and bram stoker's dracula didn't come out until 1897 there's also a gothic horror novel mm-hmm. called Carmilla. It's mm-hmm. like a novella. It's like kind of like a long short story. Sounds familiar. That I read last year that came out in 1872 that's often credited as the vampire fiction that predates Bram Stoker's. But that only came out a few years before, whereas this story from Shelley came out, you know, 50 years before or something. And according to the source for pulling this, the hero... The hero was a vampire, mm-hmm. sorry, which was a, a, a bloodsucker, and it was basically a remodeled version of Lord Byron himself. But don't worry, we will get into all of that very, very soon in an upcoming episode that may or may not be about vampires. Ooh. Ooh. All right. I okay. think we've talked enough about the stupid love yeah. triangle. Okay. So here we go. Buckle up. Never unbuckled. <laughs> I assume most of us are familiar with the story of Frankenstein's monster, but let us refresh our memories. This novel is classified as a classic frame story, meaning that Shelley uses the mechanic of letter writing to set the stage for the novel. These letters that bookend the story were actually added later. And I remember that from Mr. March's English class that the original publication what, or the original story she wrote was too short to be considered a novel. And so the publisher she worked with asked her to add on kind of like the letter framing at the beginning and the end to make it feel more like a novel. Hmm. The book opens with a man writing a letter to his sister. He is exploring the North Pole and came across a huge figure driving a dog sled. Oh, yeah. Later on, he comes across Dr. Victor Frankenstein, who has nearly frozen to death in the cold. And as you might expect... Dr. Frankenstein tells the explorer the story of his life, and we get into the meat of the story. Mm -hmm. This novel is famous for many things, one of them being the duality between Frankenstein and his monster, right? The idea of good versus evil, who was really responsible for these crimes. Though the creation, right, is seen as the monster, it is the doctor, Dr. Frankenstein, who is really responsible for its crimes. 
There are recurring themes of loneliness, obsession, and the constant questioning of what is humanity. Though the Universal Studios monster films totally change the narrative and make a much simplified version, Shelley's original text is full of complex characters and deep, rich emotion. I just remember being stunned the first time I read it. Yeah. And like Frankenstein's monster is super articulate. Oh, yeah. He doesn't grunt. No. He's super smart. Mm -hmm. He has a super smart brain. Yeah, he has a super smart brain. Yeah. He's he's a really great guy, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the novel, if you haven't read it, now is the perfect time. (laughs) October is the perfect time. Stop this episode. No, don't just read it after. But it's not like a a silly monster book. Like, it is a really, really, really well-written, complex exploration of humanity, I would say. It's a, a real. It's a deep dive into being misunderstood mm-hmm. and being forced to be yourself mm-hmm. and coming to terms with what that means. Yep, totally. Though this is obviously a gothic novel, some scholars also see it as the first work of science fiction. Hmm. And Mary Shelley's novel has never been out of print since it was first released in 1818. It's also rumored to have appeared in more editions than any other novel. When first released, there was much speculation about the true identity of the author. It seems some reviewers knew that it was written by a woman and some didn't. Those who did know that it was written by Mary Shelley make reference to the feminine nature of the author in their reviews. Yeah, screw those people. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to move on to our interlude section, where we bridge the gap between the novel and the Universal Monster franchise. I thought you were going to say it's time to go take a break and get some snacks. Yeah, go ahead. Take a break, get some snacks. Welcome back. (laughs) There are a few interlude versions of Frankenstein to note before we get into the wildly popular Universal Studios monster version. In 1823, only five years after its original release, Mary Shelley and her father, William Goodwin, sat in the audience of the English Opera House to watch the play Presumption or the Fate of Frankenstein. Three years after that, in 1826, another theatrical version called The Man and the Monster opened in London. In 1887, a musical burlesque called Frankenstein or the Vampire's Victim debuted. 1910 brings forth the first film adaptation, Frankenstein by Edison Studios. The stills from this film look truly wild, and I'd love to find a copy to watch. They're like really, I think it's a short film. What was it called? Just Frankenstein by Edison Studios. Okay. But the monster looks like a crazy old woman. It's a very short little movie, and none of the actors went on to do much else. Alan's Googling so he can share on the visual. Describe describe it for everybody. Huh. It looks like a Christmas carol meets, meets Kabuki theater. Yeah. It's kind That's of crazy. That's what you're looking at? Yeah. Um, also, it's like literally the, the first thing is on YouTube. Oh. <laughs> well, we should watch it. In 1915, a second film version of the story was released, but there's no known print still in existence. In 1920, we saw yet another remake. Until we arrive in 1931. And now we talk about Universal Studios' Frankenstein. Now he's officially known as Frankenstein. Frankenstein. In 1931, Universal Studios released Frankenstein, starring Boris Karloff as the monster. Great guy. Great guy. This is the version of the story that has likely shaped your associations with Frankenstein. If you're picturing a classic version of the monster with a flat head, green skin, and bolted neck, you are picturing Boris Karloff playing the monster. Interesting that we would know his skin is green. It is, isn't it? It's all black and white. 
but there was movie posters and other it's like how would you know i love lucy's hair Hair was red red. yeah it's great that's a great example (laughs) this film was not directly adapted from mary shelley's novel but rather from a 1927 theatrical version of the story by peggy welbling which of course was based on the original text while the genre of Mary Shelley's novel is often debated, the Universal Studios version is clearly a horror film. What, what's the genre of her novel? You know, because some people think it's science fiction or it's drama. It, it's not, like, very scary throughout. Oh, right. I see. But this film is clearly meant to be a horror film. 100%. If you haven't seen this movie, it's quite different in plot from the book version. I mean, it's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's not. You don't, well, I mean, I think so. I mean, it's obviously dated, but it's from 1931, but... I mean, you, you'll, if if you can watch the Saw movies, you'll probably be able to get through it. Yeah, okay. So we see the iconic creation scene with Fritz, who's the assistant, and Dr. Frankenstein bringing the monster to life. You know, with the lightning shooting from the sky and mm-hmm. the bolts and, and the whole thing. Which is also in the book. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then we see Frankenstein's monster out in the world, innocent but unaware of his own strength. There's an important scene where he accidentally drowns a little girl because he doesn't understand that she cannot swim. So I'm not giving away anything, but in the movie, right, this little girl is throwing flowers into a pond Mm -hmm. and they run out of Frankenstein's monster comes and they're throwing flowers and they run out of flowers and he doesn't understand and he throws her into the water and she drowns. But it's like kind of like this very innocent mindset of like even though he had this brilliant brain like mary shelley's version he isn't portrayed in this brilliant way no in in the movie he's a child yeah exactly a very freakishly strong child yeah in certain releases of this film in massachusetts pennsylvania and new york the censorship board cut this drowning scene so the movie makes no sense <laughs> kansas requested the cutting of 32 scenes which would have been more than half of the movie Eventually, a compromise was reached, and a slightly edited version opened in Kansas. And I, I, I don't want to give—I don't want to talk about the whole plot of the movie because I don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it. But again, now is a really excellent time to watch if you are looking for a horror film. Again, it is dated. I will admit that it's from 1931, but it is, I think, haunting in its own way still. Yeah. And I will tell you this interesting bit of history. In 1930, Universal had lost over $2 million and desperately needed a win. Good news, they found that win in Dracula, starring Bela Lugosi. Because of its success, they followed up really quickly with another monster movie, which would be Frankenstein. Lugosi was interested in playing the role of the scientist, Henry Frankenstein. Victor in the book, Henry in the movie. But the producer instead wanted him to play the monster. After several quote-unquote disastrous makeup tests... The actor left the project, which was seen as the worst move of his career. I mean, good. Yeah, fuck that guy. No, he's great in, he's great in Dracula. Of course, the Universal film sprouted a franchise of spin-offs, including Bride of Frankenstein, Son of Frankenstein, The Ghost of Frankenstein, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, and of course, my dad's favorite, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Don't forget young Frankenstein. Oh, of course, <laughs> of course. And that's not a Universal Studios film. Um, also, don't forget Godzilla versus Frankenstein. Mm, also, I believe not a Universal Studios film. Or was it King Kong versus Frankenstein? It was not a good movie. There's Frankenstein versus the Martians. <laughs> so keep if you're if you're into it, keep searching. You have an infinite amount of content to get through. Okay, so in conclusion, 
It's sort of incredible that 18-year-old Mary Shelley wrote such a defining and wonderfully poignant horror novel. She was allowed, quote-unquote, to take part in a competition with Percy Shelley, right? This incredibly poetic and renowned socialite, almost as if he was appeasing her. But she went on to write not only one of the most popular and influential novels of all time, but she inspired a major film franchise that has earned millions and millions and millions of dollars a hundred years later. And even just saying that this book has never been out of print in 200 years is an amazing feat. Even today, we immediately know the story of Frankenstein because it is still relevant, haunting, and entertaining. If you haven't seen the 1931 film or read the 1818 novel, I highly suggest both. This monster is interesting because unlike some of the others that we're going to cover in this series, there, it's not really based on a lot of folklore, right? It's not something like werewolves or vampires that, that evolved from local legend. It literally just came about because of Mary Shelley's mind out of her brilliant brain. So yeah, any closing thoughts, Alan, on Frankenstein? Yeah, I just want to clarify something for the audience mm -hmm. in case you're trying to hunt down this yourself. There was no official movie called Frankenstein versus Godzilla. Okay. It was Frankenstein Conquers the World, 1965, in which he does have to fight Godzilla. Copy that. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought this was history. During World War II in Nazi Germany, Nazi officers confiscate the heart of Frankenstein's monster. That's just the plot. That's the plot. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, there's so many Frankenstein films that are not, you know, like the official franchise, but you could have a whole weekend of marathoning them and probably not get through them. And like, let's like talk about one. It's just one novel. It's all from one novel. One mm -hmm. brilliant. One 200 year old novel. One brilliant young woman who wrote this novella that yep. got expanded just for publishing purposes. Mm-hmm that has expanded into almost every bit of sci-fi and pop culture yeah it's really cool you can take any f like fantasy world game you know and you're gonna have some kind of like reanimated stitched together flesh like the flesh golems from like D D. right you know it's totally. it's it's uh the whole idea of like putting you know, metal rods and bolts into things. It, it is, is a creature in so many different, like, RPGs. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's certainly penetrated, like, far beyond what, you know, I think she probably expected at the time. And mm -hmm. she even, you know, could fathom at that time. That, But that's why she's so filthy rich to this day. <laughs> yeah. So, Alan. Yeah. Do you know what time it is? Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> what time is it it's time to hear your cool frankenstein story it is yes so this story i'm very very proud of it you know alan i'm very thankful helped me edit it especially on the weaponry side but uh, but across the whole story yeah this one i put a lot of heart and soul into because i really wanted to honor mary shelley i really love her i think she's an incredible you know female horror icon for for those out there and so I wanted to make this one a little extra special. All right. Let's bring this one to life. Oh. Pray Mantis. Written and read by Abigail Breiker. In your mind's eye, picture a tiny silver sewing needle. A needle that would be used to stitch the most delicate lace doily or vintage handkerchief. A standard part of any sewing kit, really. 
Nothing too extraordinary about a little silver needle, except for what it was currently binding. In this case, a mosaic of flesh. Yes, human flesh. Human flesh from many different human bodies. Eight human bodies, to be exact. Eight once living, but now dead, unsuspecting victims. Eight people who in life had never met, hadn't even crossed paths at the grocery store or gas station, but post-mortem, their skin was being forged together with one delicate needle tip and spools of strong black thread. The joints, bones, and tendons from various body parts had already been fused and reinforced internally with metal rods and electric wires. The final step was to fuse together the outer shell. Katie's hands were nimble. She made quick but solid work of the sewing. She was eager for their creation to be brought to life. Katie hated being called Katie. She felt like a Catherine. Plus, she preferred the formality of it. Katie seemed like a kid's name. Catherine seemed like a mastermind matriarch or a duchess. But everyone called her Katie, so her opinion didn't matter anyway. She looked around the basement workshop. Eight top-of-the-line coolers lay flung open, littering the cement ground. She glanced at the slowly melting blood-stained ice and let out an annoyed sigh. Carl! Katie called, tilting her head towards the stairs. She heard him mute the Lakers game. Carl, come down here and help me clean this up. She heard the Lakers game unmute. Fuck you, Carl. Katie pushed the needle through the skin one final time and tied off the thread. She cut her little needle free and tucked it back into her kit. She'd found the antique needles at a thrift store and the industrial thread online. She liked using old-fashioned tools for a project like this. She pretended she was a pioneer scientist from the 1800s as she worked. The cold flesh before her was the uncharted medical frontier. She looked down at her masterpiece. It was perfect. Granted, the body was a little ugly, but once she was dressed, she'd be wonderful. A real miracle of science. Katie glanced at her golden wristwatch. Carl, she's ready! The distant sounds of whistles and dribbling faded away. She heard Carl's heavy boots lumber down the basement stairs. A second later, Carl's goofy, grinning face appeared right next to her. His smile melted away her annoyance. He took her hands in his. Shall we? He asked. Why not? We made it this far. Right you are, my love. Carl leaned down and kissed the top of her head. Her eyes took in his blood-stained pants and red flannel jacket. You'd never guessed that he'd been a Stanford human biology professor for 20 years. Katie had been the dean of the science school herself, until they'd been quietly, but not tactfully, asked to leave or the school would be forced to start an investigation. Typical narrow-minded bureaucracy. They didn't need that sort of red tape anyway. Their combined vision was too important. What if you could resurrect a superhuman, not just in strength, but in intellect? They'd collect the strongest parts from eight specimens, the arms of a fitness maven, a perfect heart and cardiovascular system, strong endurance-shaped legs, a brilliantly gorgeous face, feet from a barefoot runner, the hands of an artist, and two beautiful brain halves that merged creative genius with mathematical prowess. The ultimate experiment. Is the shotgun loaded? Katie glanced around the basement. Click. Carl snapped the gun open to reveal two slugs in the chamber. Click. He snapped it closed again. All set. 
And the pistol? Katie rolled her eyes. It's overkill, Carl. We both don't need a gun. Carl's eyes flashed with anger. They had talked about this so many times. They didn't know what was going to come to life. They needed to be safe. It wasn't just about them. They couldn't let their creature escape. Fine, fine. Katie threw up her hands in a peace offering and grabbed the pistol from its case. She tucked it into the back of her jeans. Should we clean up first? It looks like such a mess in here. Katie was starting to feel nervous. It wasn't just the gravity of their experiment, but also if their new friend would like them. What if they were disgusted by the bloody coolers? What if they didn't want to be resurrected? Eh, everybody did, didn't they? Katie, please. Katie, please. I'm more worried about if the body parts are going to fuse, if the brain is going to function correctly. Cleaning the basement is the last thing on my mind. Carl didn't share any of his wife's nerves. He was ready for this. Come on, babe. What's wrong? This has been our dream for five years now. Carl sounded like a newlywed talking about a honeymoon. Okay. Katie stood up. Her hands were cramped from sewing. She shook them out and took a deep breath. Let's just do it. Don't say it like that. You should be excited about this. Carl wrapped his long arms around her and nuzzled his face into her wild hair. Come on, babe. What's wrong? What we're doing... We're playing God here. What we're doing is a big deal. I know we've been working on this for a long time. I know we've talked about this a million times. Maybe we've become a bit jaded, though. But this isn't just a casual Saturday night. Katie broke free of Carl's arms. I know. He returned. You're right. I I know. I'm just... Excited. Katie started to dab the electroconductive gel and connect the electrodes to the ports all over the body. Each connection gave a satisfying snap. She looked up at Carl. He nodded at her as he held the shotgun a little higher. Katie walked to the makeshift control panel. They had rebuilt an old soundboard that the failed teenage DJ down the street had abandoned in the trash. It had been surprisingly easy to repurpose the board's long, sliding faders. Here we go. Before the last words had left her lips, Katie flipped the switch. A gust of electricity jolted through the board. Blue and white sparks popped into the air. It shot down the wires and into the body. A twitch. Stillness. Another twitch and another. And then the sparks started to fly off the body. Katie and Carl locked eyes. This didn't seem right. Carl, should we? Her words trailed off as the sparks died down. An electric sizzle smell filled the air. Shh! He shot back at Katie. Give it a minute. Their eyes dropped to the corpse in front of them. Smoke seeped out through the loose stitches in the black thread. Katie inched closer, willing it to move. And then it did. Katie gasped as the monster's wrist flicked to the right as if it was reaching for her. Carl? Her voice was shaking. I saw it. Carl took a step forward. Flick! The creature moved its left wrist towards him. Its eyes. They looked at its eyes. The eyes that were dead moments ago, and now... Now some sort of life lurked behind them. The eyes darted back and forth as the creature surveyed its new surroundings. Slowly, ever so slowly, it sat up. A few stitches burst from the effort. Katie groaned and started to leap forward to help steady it. Stay back, babe. We don't know if she's dangerous yet. Carl slowly circled their creation. She must feel a sense of parental bonding to us. We made her. I'm not sure normal psychological principles apply. Katie was about to retort when the creature moved again. 
This time it looked down at itself. It looked in its own mismatched skin, uneven limbs and bulging midsection. They'd had the hardest time fitting all the organs in properly. It looked up. There was fear and confusion in its eyes. Hi there. Hello. Carl looked worried. I'm Carl, and this is Katie, my wife. He gestured at Katie. She offered a timid wave as the creature snapped its head toward her. We brought you to life. The confusion on the monster's face turned to anger. It let out an ear-splitting growl. Katie ducked as if it was going to throw something at her. Like lightning, it sprang up from the table and sprinted up the basement stairs. Fuck! shouted Carl as he bounded after it, gun still in hand. In a daze, Katie followed her husband upstairs. As she rounded the corner into the kitchen, she saw it standing in front of the refrigerator. Carl had the shotgun pointed at it. Katie clumsily pulled out the pistol. She had never fired it before. We don't want to hurt you at all. We want to learn about you. Carl was trying to negotiate with it. Katie's foot caught on the kitchen table's leg. It scraped against the tile floor as she tripped forward. She tried to steady herself, but she fumbled. The little gun went off, shooting a live round into their popcorn ceiling. Damn it. Their creation let out a terrified, low groan. Fear strobed in its eyes as they locked on the smoking gun. What the hell are you doing? Exasperation seethed out of Carl's teeth as he spoke. I tripped. She was cut off by the monster's sudden movement. One second it was standing in their 1950s themed kitchen, and the next it sprinted down the hall and out of sight. Did we give it fucking Olympic runner's legs? Carl took off down their short hallway with Katie only a few steps behind. There were only three choices. Their bedroom to the right, the home office straight at the end of the hall, or the guest bathroom to the left. All three doors were ajar. I don't like this. Katie reached out for Carl's hand. We need to secure it now. It would be really fucking bad if it escaped the house. I know that, Carl. They went quiet, trying to listen for a hint. After a moment of stillness, Katie spoke. Should we stay together or split up? You sweep the rooms and I'll guard the hallway. It can't slip past both of us. Katie nodded. Seconds later, she slammed open the door to the bedroom. Katie flicked on the light switch. The tungsten bulb came on, along with a ceiling fan. The cool air sent a shiver down her back. She took small, deliberate steps. Hello? We don't want to hurt you. Katie swung open the door to their walk-in closet. Nothing. She dropped to her stomach and examined under the bed. Nothing. Nothing but some dust and an old condom wrapper. That must be really old, Katie thought. Where else could she be hiding? Not in here, she called out as she made her way back to the hall. Carl didn't respond. Katie froze. Carl? Nothing. Carl, goddammit, answer me right now! She was standing close enough to the door now to see that no one was standing in the hallway, but the shotgun lay abandoned on the floor. That wasn't right. She was afraid it was a trap. Was the gun meant to lure her out? How brilliant was this brain they had used? Fuck it. She lunged through the doorway and took aim. She swept the gun around as she looked for her enemy. Nothing. No movement. Without lowering her eyes, she scooped up Carl's shotgun. It hadn't jumped out and tried to kill her, but it must be waiting somewhere close, lurking. She knew its awareness was on her. She could feel it. Carl? She tried again. Carl, can you hear me? Are you all right? A creak. But which room had it come from? 
The bathroom was smaller. She could check that quickly without having to sacrifice her view of the hall. They had been so stupid. Why hadn't they been more prepared? They had gotten too cocky, too confident. She forced a yell as she burst into the tiny bathroom. She was trying to sound brave, but her voice shook. The shower was to her left. Toilet, sink, and small closet to the right. The creature could only be hiding in two places. She pulled open the small closet. No monsters. She readied the shotgun before she slid open the night sky printed shower curtain. This time, a genuine scream escaped from her trembling lips. There was Carl, slumped in the tub. It looked like his neck had been twisted. He was dead. No. Katie dropped to her knees and reached out towards her husband's body. Carl, no, please wake up, please. Warm tears welled in her eyes. She forgot the hunt. She forgot the monster they had brought to life. All she could see was the corpse in front of her, her soulmate. He was gone. The tears spilled down her face as she started to climb into the tub. She needed to be closer to him. He couldn't be gone. She felt for a pulse. There was nothing. She pushed his eyelids back to reveal no life, no movement. Carl, oh God, please, no. She had no belief in a higher power, but, but still her first thought was to pray. That couldn't have been their last conversation. She didn't know when she kissed him this morning that it would be for the last time. The creature stood behind her and waited. It had planted the dead man here, knowing that its discovery would hinder the other one. It waited. It could have waited indefinitely for the right moment, but it didn't take that long. The monster needed to take out the woman quickly so that she didn't scream. There had already been enough commotion from this house, and the creature didn't want to draw any additional attention. Once this woman was eliminated, no one would knew it ever existed. It could slip into the woods and hide away forever, surviving off the land as it got used to its new form. Finally, Katie stood, and her creation went for the kill. It wrapped its strong hands around her neck, hoping to silence her. Katie acted fast. Without looking, she swung the twin shotgun barrels up over her shoulder and pulled the trigger. The deafening blast was unbearable. It had been a reckless move. Ears ringing, Katie whirled around and her eyes dropped to the floor. There it lay. The twin slugs had hit their mark. Blood, electrodes, and the brain matter were seeping out from what was left of its ruined head. It took Katie a few hours to haul Carl's body down to the basement. This time, she thought to strap the body to the table, in case he wasn't quite the same when he came back. She cut him open along his arms, legs, chest, the back of his neck. She inserted the wires and welded in the metal pipes, just as they had done last time. The hardest part was reconstructing the broken neck and crushed windpipe. She sat there, pulling thick black thread through his flesh with the tiniest silver needle. She thought about the day they had been married. Carl had surprised her as she was getting dressed. She told him it was bad luck to see each other, so he put his jacket over his face and handed her a rose. I love you. He had said, I love you more, she replied. Katie wondered how many people had had that experience at their wedding. It didn't seem that uncommon. Carl had probably seen it in some 80s movie and replicated it, trying to be romantic. But a wide grin spread across her face as she thought that electrocuting and reanimating your murdered husband was probably something truly unique to them alone. She had left the dead creature upstairs. Once Carl was back, he'd know what to do with it. She applied the gel and snapped in the electrodes. Snap. 
Katie took one final look at her dead and heavily modified husband laying on the table. We'll have to take down the mirrors, she thought. She flipped the switch. That was cool. Thank you. I think that is one of the strongest stories you've written. Thank you. I had a lot of fun writing it. It's oozing with thematic theme. Yeah, that's certainly a non-compliment. It's it's very well written. Uh The story is compelling. Uh The character is believable. And you could just tell that they were in love. Mm, Yeah, well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you for reading the part of Carl. You're welcome. That was nice. Mm. It was a cool little new thing to try out. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, you guys, it is October 2020. There's a lot going on. Remember to vote. Remember to register to vote. Mm -hmm. Buy stamps. Remember to buy stamps. Remember to send cards to your loved ones because there's no time like the present to reach out and tell people that you love them and you're thinking about them. Because not all of us can bring our loved ones back. That's right. Only I can. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. That wasn't based on me Snap. and my ex-husband. Snap. <laughs> if you're interested in your very own copy of the Lunatics magazine, the monster issue is out right now, which is monster themed, very appropriate for this little monster series that we're doing. You can head over to Etsy. There are physical and digital copies. It's full of amazing art from all kinds of contributors, poets, illustrators, photographers, short stories, it's jam-packed and haunting and spooky. So please check that out. And yeah, what do you have to say? And if you want a copy of this very story, mm-hmm. just turn on subtitles. Yep. And hit record. <laughs> there you go. If you want a copy of this story, because it's so freaking good, <laughs> uh, you can actually get it in the new book. So this October, I released a short story collection which is available in an ebook form and in a paperback form on Amazon. I know that Amazon isn't the best company in the world, but it's the only company that allows us to to print paperbacks and books and publish them to the e-store without having to pay up front. As they say, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. But there is a little bit of a silver lining, which is that we are donating a percentage of the profits to charities which you can find a little bit of more information about on Instagram. That's really cool. So basically, you can check out a really cool book and help some really cool people. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. So thank you guys again for your support, for your love, for your spookiness. We really appreciate this. I, for one, am really excited about this monster series. This has been really fun. I hope everybody goes tonight and watches Frankenstein. I'd say we will, but we won't because we have so much. (laughs) what are you gonna say because we have so many other monster movies that we need to watch this month we have a lot we're behind uh and if anybody wants to watch horror films with us as part of patreon we we watch a horror film on netflix party every month with the patrons so consider joining that if you want to uh take part in that you know fun community viewing experience it's fun and spooky it is and the patrons vote on the film that they want so it's always kind of like a fun uh interactive sort of thing but yeah i guess that's all i have to say that's all we have to plug you can find us on instagram at the lunatics project where we have updates and links to absolutely everywhere else that you would need to go we love you all so much happy october stay safe 
fight for what's right. We love you. Goodbye. Yeah, sorry this one went so long. We're really going to have to Frankenstein this one together. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content, consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep, and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.